Good morning. My name is Donna, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Dollar General fourth quarter 2020 earnings call. Today is Thursday, March 18, 2021. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. This call is being recorded. Instructions for listening to the replay of the call are available in the company's earnings press release issued this morning. Now I'd like to turn the conference over to Mr. Donnie Lau, Vice President of Investor Relations and Corporate Strategy. Mr. Lau, you may now begin your conference. Thank you, Donna, and good morning, everyone. On the call with me today are Todd Zathos, our CEO, Jeff Owen, our COO, and John Garrett, our CFO. Our earnings release issued today can be found on our website at investor.dollargeneral.com under news and events. Let me caution you that today's comments include forward-looking statements as defined in the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995, such as statements about our strategy, plans, initiatives, goals, priorities, opportunities, investments, guidance, expectations, or beliefs about future matters, and other statements that are not limited to historical fact. These statements are subject to risk and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from our expectations and projections, including, but are not limited to those identified in our earnings release issued this morning under risk factors in our 2019 Form 10-K filed on March 19, 2020, and in our Form 10-Q filed on December 3, 2020, and in the comments that are made on this call. You should not unduly rely on forward-looking statements, which speak only of today's date. Dollar General disclaims any obligation to update or revise any information discussed in this call unless required by law. We also may reference certain financial measures that have not been derived in accordance with GAAP. Reconciliations to the most comparable GAAP measures are included in this morning's earnings release, which, as I mentioned, is posted on investor.dollargeneral.com under news and events. At the end of our prepared remarks, we will open the call up for your questions. Please limit your questions to one and one follow-up question if necessary. Now, it is my pleasure to turn the call over to Todd. Thank you, Donnie, and welcome to everyone joining our call. We are pleased with our strong finish to fiscal 2020, and I thank all of our associates for their extraordinary efforts over the past year to support our customers, our communities, and each other. Despite a challenging operating environment, our team remains steadfast in their dedication to fulfilling our mission of serving others by, by, by providing affordable, convenient, and close-to-home access to everyday essentials. And I could not be more proud of their efforts. Throughout the pandemic, our priority has been the health and safety of our employees and customers while meeting the critical needs of the communities we serve as an essential retailer. Protective equipment dedicated certain store hours for the most vulnerable members of our communities and most recently removed barriers for our frontline associates to receive the vaccine. In total, we invested approximately $248 million in response to the pandemic in 2020, including about $167 million in appreciation bonuses for eligible frontline employees to demonstrate our appreciation for their exceptional performance during an incredibly challenging year. 
At Dollar General, we remain committed to being part of the solution and believe we are uniquely positioned to continue supporting our customers through our network of more than 17,000 stores located within five miles of approximately 75% of the U.S. population. At the same time, we remain focused on advancing our operating priorities and strategic initiatives as we continue to meet the evolving needs of our customers and further position Dollar General for long-term sustainable growth. To that end, we're excited to share an update on some of our plans for 2021. First, we plan to further the rollout of several value-creating initiatives, including our non-consumables initiative, fast track, and the completion of our initial rollout of DG Fresh. In addition, while still early, we are very pleased with the results of our pop shelf stores, which have far exceeded our initial expectations for both sales and gross margin. As a result, we plan to accelerate our pace of new store openings for Pop Shelf in 2021 and expect to incorporate this concept into a number of our larger format Dollar General locations as we look to capitalize on the significant growth opportunity we see for this differentiated concept. We are also pleased to highlight key changes to our development strategy, including plans to build on the success of our Dollar General Plus Store, or DGP, and the introduction of two new store formats, which we began testing in 2020. Similar to our larger footprint DGP concept, the first new format has selling space of approximately 8,500 square feet, which compares to about 7,300 square feet of selling space for our traditional store. Beginning later this year, this new format, along with our DGP concept, will become our base prototype for nearly all new stores, replacing both our traditional and higher cooler count DGTP formats, allowing for a more optimized assortment and room to accommodate future growth. Our second new format is even larger, with approximately 9,500 square selling feet and will be deployed opportunistically across new store, relocation, and remodel opportunities. Notably, on average, our DGP and new store formats are outperforming the chain on a comp sales basis and have considerably higher sales volumes compared to both the traditional and DGTP store, which bodes well for the future as we look to increase their unit counts in the years ahead. Finally, we are pleased to provide an update on a number of our new small box store opportunities we see available in the continental United States, which represents an increase compared to our prior estimate. Jeff will discuss these updates in more detail later in the call. But first, let's recap some of the highlights for the fourth quarter and full year. The quarter was once again highlighted by strong growth on both the top and bottom lines. We're pleased that for the quarter, our three non-consumable categories once again delivered a combined comp sales increase well in excess of our consumable business. Of note, this represents our 11th consecutive quarter of year-over-year -year comp sales growth in our combined non-consumable categories, 
which we believe speaks to the strong and sustained momentum in these product categories. From a monthly cadence perspective, comp sales in December increased in the high single digit range with similar mid-teens growth in both November and January. In total, fourth quarter net sales increased 17.6% to $8.4 billion, primarily driven by comp sales growth of 12.7%. These results include significant growth in average basket size and units in particular, partially offset by a decline in customer traffic. And while customers continue to consolidate trips, on average, they are spending more with us compared to last year. Once again, this quarter, we increased our market share in highly consumable product sales as measured by syndicated data, driven by a meaningful increase in both units and dollars. Importantly, our data suggests an increase in new customers this quarter as compared to Q4 of 2019. These new customers continue to skew younger, higher income, and more ethnically diverse, underscoring the broadening appeal of our value and convenience proposition. We continue to be encouraged by the retention rates of new customers, and we are working to drive even higher levels of engagement with more personalized marketing and continued execution of our key initiatives. We're particularly pleased that we delivered significant operating margin expansion, which contributed to fourth quarter diluted EPS of $2.62, an increase of 24.8% over the prior year. For the full year, net sales increased 21.6% to $33.7 billion, including net sales growth of 28.1% in our combined non-consumable categories. Comp sales for the year increased 16.3%, representing our 31st consecutive year of same-store sales growth. In 2020, we celebrated the opening of our 17,000 store and the launch of our newest store concept, Pop Shelf. In total, we completed a record 2,780 real estate projects during the year, exceeding our initial target of 2,580 projects as we continue to build and strengthen the foundation for future growth. From a position of strength, we also made targeted investments in other key areas, including the acceleration of certain strategic initiatives to strengthen our competitive position and further differentiate and distance Dollar General from the rest of the discount retail landscape. Collectively, our fourth quarter and full year results reflect strong and disciplined execution across many fronts and further validate our belief that we are pursuing the right strategies to enable sustainable growth while creating meaningful long-term shareholder value. As a mature retailer in growth mode, we are also laying the groundwork for future initiatives, which we believe will unlock additional growth opportunities as we move forward. We operate in one of the most attractive sectors in retail, and in an environment where customers continue to seek safe and convenient experiences, we believe our unique store footprint, further enhanced through our multi-year initi initiatives, provides a distinct competitive advantage and positions us well for continued success. Overall, I am proud of our associates and all that we've achieved over the past year. We feel very good about the underlying business, and I'm excited about the opportunities that lie ahead. 
With that, I'll now turn the call over to John. Thank you, Todd, and good morning, everyone. Now that Todd is taking you through a few highlights of the quarter and full year, let me take you through some of its important financial details. Unless we specifically note otherwise, all comparisons are year over year, all references to EPS refer to dilute earnings per share, and all years noted refer to the corresponding fiscal year. As Todd already discussed sales, I will start with gross profit, which was positively impacted in the quarter by a significant increase in sales, including the impact of COVID-19. Gross profit as a percentage of sales was 32.5% in the fourth quarter, an increase of 77 basis points, which represents our seventh consecutive quarter of year-over-year -year gross margin rate expansion. This increase was primarily attributable to a reduction in markdowns as a percentage of sales, higher initial markups on inventory purchases, a greater proportion of sales coming from non-consumable categories, and a reduction in shrink as a percentage of sales. These factors were partially offset by increased transportation and distribution costs, which were impacted by increased volume, some of which is attributable to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as higher transportation rates and discretionary employee bonus expense for our distribution center and private fleet employees. SG&A as a percentage of sales was 22.2%, an increase of 48 basis points. This increase was primarily driven by incremental costs related to COVID-19, including appreciation bonuses paid to our frontline retail employees and health and safety related expenses, as well as increased incentive compensation expense and hurricane related expenses. These items were partially offset by certain expenses which were lower as a percentage of sales, including occupancy costs, retail labor, and depreciation and amortization. Moving down the income statement, operating profit for the fourth quarter increased 21% to $872 million as a percent of sales, operating profit was 10.4%, an increase of 30 basis points. Operating profit in the fourth quarter was positively impacted by COVID-19, primarily through higher sales. The benefit from higher sales was partially offset by approximately $96 million, or 110 basis points, of incremental investments that we made in response to the pandemic, including approximately $69 million in appreciation bonuses for eligible frontline employees and additional measures taken to further protect our employees and customers. Our effective tax rate for the quarter was 22.7% and compares to 23% in the fourth quarter last year. Finally, as Todd noted earlier, EPS for the fourth quarter increased 24.8% to $2.62, which contributed to full year EPS of $10.62, an increase of 59.9%. Turning now to our balance sheet and cash flow, which remains strong, and provide us the financial flexibility to further support our customers and employees during these unprecedented times while continuing to invest for the long term and provide meaningful returns to shareholders. Merchandise inventories were $5.2 billion at the end of the year, an increase of 12.2% overall and 6.3% on a per store basis. While out of stocks remain higher than we would like for certain high demand products, we continue to make good progress with improving our in-stock position and are pleased with our overall inventory levels. In 2020, we generated significant cash flow from operations totaling $3.9 billion, an increase of $1.6 billion or 73.2%. Total capital expenditures for the year were $1 billion and included our planned investments in new stores, remodels and relocations, distribution and transportation projects and spending related to our strategic initiatives. During the quarter, we repurchased 4.3 million shares of our common stock for $900 million and paid a quarterly dividend of 36 cents per common share outstanding at a total cost of $87 million. 
With today's announcement of an incremental share repurchase authorization, we have remaining authorization of approximately $2.4 billion under the repurchase program. Our capital allocation priorities continue to service well and remain unchanged. Our first priority is investing in high return growth opportunities, including new store expansion and our strategic initiatives. We also remain committed to returning significant cash to shareholders through anticipated share repurchases and quarterly dividend payments, all while maintaining our current investment grade credit rating and managing to a leverage ratio of approximately three times adjusted debt to EBITDA. Moving to our financial outlook for 2021, we continue to operate in a time of uncertainty regarding the severity and duration of the COVID-19 pandemic, including its impact on the economy, consumer behavior, and our business. Despite continued uncertainty, we are providing select annual guidance in an effort to provide the best view we reasonably can based on what we currently know. That said, there could be a number of potential headwinds and tailwinds this year, which are not incorporated into our guidance as the timing degree and potential impacts on our business are currently unclear, including but not limited to the recently approved government stimulus package, other unknown external factors related to the ongoing health crisis, including its impact on consumer behavior and additional changes to minimum wage rates. With this in mind, we currently expect the following for 2021. Net sales in the range of a 2% decline to flat, a same store sales decline of 4% to 6%, but which reflects growth of approximately 10% to 12% on a two-year stack basis, and EPS in the range of $8.80 to $9.50, which reflects a compound annual growth rate between 15% and 20%, or between 14 and 19% on an adjusted basis over a two-year period, which is well above our long-term goal of delivering at least 10% annual EPS growth on an adjusted basis. Our EPS guidance assumes an effective tax rate in the range of 22% to 23%. Capital spending is expected to be in the range of $1.05 billion to $1.15 billion as we continue to invest in our strategic initiatives and core business to support and drive future growth. With regards to shareholder returns, as outlined in today's press release, our board of directors recently approved a quarterly dividend payment of 42 cents per share, which represents an increase of 16.7%. We also plan to repurchase a total of approximately $1.8 billion of our common stock this year, reflecting our strong liquidity position and confidence about the long-term growth opportunity for our business. Finally, as noted in today's press release, our outlook for 2021 real estate projects remains unchanged from what we stated in our Q3 earnings release on December 3rd, 2020. Let me now provide some additional context as it relates to our expectations. Given the unusual situation, I will elaborate on our comp sales trends thus far in Q1. Despite approximately 8,400 lost store operating days as a result of closures due to winter weather across the country, same store sales for the month of February increased 5.7%, reflecting a healthy comp sales increase of 11.2% on a two-year stack basis. From the end of February through March 16th, comp sales decreased approximately 16% as we are in the midst of lapping our most difficult monthly comp sales comparison of the year. As a reminder, comp sales growth for the month of March in 2020 was 34.5%. Looking ahead, we remain cautious in our 2021 sales outlook given the continued significant uncertainty that still exists as well as the unique comparisons against last year. That said, as you think about the sales cadence of 2021, our performance is expected to be stronger in the second half, given a more difficult sales comparison in the first half, and in particularly in Q1. Turning to gross margin, in 2020, gross margins benefited from a greater proportion of sales coming from our higher margin non-consumable categories, 
driven by a full year net sales percentage increase of these categories well in excess of our consumables business. We expect our sales mix will ultimately shift towards our consumables categories in 2021, resulting in pressure on our rate. However, the timing of when this dynamic may occur and its corresponding impact to gross margin are currently uncertain. Gross margins in 2020 also benefited from a reduction in markdowns, including the benefit of higher sell-through rates as a result of significant customer demand in seasonal and other clearance-sensitive non-consumable categories. In 2021, we expect our markdown rates will increase somewhat from the abnormally low levels we saw in 2020, which likely will create some gross margin pressure compared to last year. In addition, while we continue to see the effect of higher carrier rates and fuel costs, our ongoing efforts to improve efficiencies and reduce expenses, including further expansion of our private fleet, are expected to help partially mitigate these cost pressures in 2021. Also, please keep in mind that the second and third quarters represent the most challenging lapse of the year from a gross profit rate perspective, following improvements of 167 basis points in Q2 2020 and 178 basis points in Q3 2020. In terms of SG&A, while we expect to incur ongoing expenses related to the pandemic in 2021, overall we anticipate a meaningful reduction in COVID-19 related costs compared to last year. However, the leverage from these reduced costs is expected to be offset by deleverage associated with lower comp sales and approximately $60 million to $70 million in incremental year-over-year -year investments related to our strategic initiatives as we further their rollouts. With regard to our strategic initiatives, in aggregate, we anticipate they will positively contribute to operating profit and margin in 2021, driven by NCI and DG Fresh, as we expect the benefits to gross margin from our initiatives will more than offset the associated expense. Finally, we estimate operating profit will be negatively impacted by approximately $35 million to $40 million in Q1 as a result of lost sales from store closures and expenses related to the widespread winter weather that we experienced in February. In closing, we are very proud of the team's execution and performance, which resulted in ex exceptional fourth quarter and full year results. As always, we continue to be disciplined in how we manage expenses and capital with the goal of delivering consistent, strong financial performance while strategically investing for the long term. We remain confident in our business model and our ongoing financial priorities to drive profitable same-store sales growth, healthy new store returns, strong free cash flow, and long-term shareholder value. With that, I will turn the call over to Jeff. Thank you, John. Let me, let me take the next few minutes to update you on our operating priorities, including our strategic initiatives and plans for 2021. Our first operating priority is driving profitable sales growth. The team did a fantastic job in 2020. NCI consists of a new and expanded product offering in key non-consumable categories. The NCI offering was available in more than 5,800 stores at the end of 2020, including nearly 400 stores in our light version. This compares to our prior expectation of more than 5,600 stores at year end. Given our strong performance to date, we plan to expand this offering to about 5,700 additional stores this year, bringing the total number of NCI stores to more than 11,000 by year end. This total includes over 2,100 stores in our light version, which incorporates a vast majority of the NCI assortment 
but through a more streamlined approach. Moving to our newest concept, Pop Shelf, which further builds on our success in learnings with NCI. Pop Shelf aims to engage customers by offering a fun, affordable, and differentiated treasure hunt experience delivered through continually refreshed merchandise, a differentiated in-store experience, and exceptional value with about 95% of our items priced at $5 or less. We opened our first five locations in 2020, and as Todd mentioned, given our strong results to date, we plan to accelerate the rollout of Pop Shelf in 2021. In fact, we are now targeting to have a total of up to 50 Pop Shelf stores open by year end, compared to our previous goal of about 30 total locations. In addition to these stores, we also plan to incorporate this concept in up to $25 general stores in 2021. In terms of our store within a store concept, a smaller footprint pop shelf shop will be prominently positioned in the center of the store, and we will display both Dollar General and pop shelf branding on exterior entrances to build and maximize awareness. From these initial stores, our goal is to test, learn, and ultimately expand to more locations over time as we look to leverage the unique strengths of these complementary formats and build on our early success with Pop Shelf by making it more available to a broader range of customers. Turning now to DG Fresh, which is a strategic multi-phase shift to self-distribution of frozen and refrigerated goods. The primary objective of DG Fresh is to reduce product costs on our frozen and refrigerated items, and we continue to be very pleased with the product cost savings we are seeing. In fact, DG Fresh continues to be the largest contributor to the gross margin benefit we are realizing from higher initial markups on inventory purchases. And we expect this benefit to grow as we continue to scale this transformational initiative. Another important goal of DG Fresh is to increase sales in these categories. We are pleased with the success we are seeing on this front, driven by higher overall in-stock levels and the introduction of new products and select stores being serviced by DG Fresh. Given our success to date, we are further accelerating the rollout of additional offerings with the recent introduction of even more products, including both national and private brands, as we look to further optimize our assortment while increasing our relevance with customers. And while produce is not included in our initial rollout plans, we believe DG Fresh provides a potential path forward to expanding our produce offering to more than 10,000 stores over time as we look to further capitalize on our extensive self-distribution capabilities. In total, we were self-distributing to more than 16,000 stores from 10 facilities at the end of 2020. This compares to our previous expectation of over 14,000 stores at year end. Overall, we, we remain well on track to complete our initial rollout across the chain in 2021. Moving to our cooler expansion program, which continues to be our most impactful merchandising initiative. During 2020, we added more than 62,000 cooler doors across our store base. In total, we expect to install more than 65,000 cooler doors in 2021 as we continue to build on our multi-year track record for growth in cooler doors and associated sales. As a reminder, in 2019, we began incorporating high-capacity coolers 
into the majority of our new, remodeled, and relocated stores, creating additional opportunities to drive higher on-shelf availability and deliver a wider product selection, all enabled by DG Fresh. Next, a quick update on our FedEx relationship. This convenient customer pick customer package pickup and drop-off service is now available in over 8,500 stores, with plans to be in a total of over 9,500 stores by year-end, further advancing our long track record of serving rural communities. In addition to the gross margin benefits associated with NCI and DG Fresh, we continue to pursue additional opportunities to enhance gross margin, including improvements in private brand sales, global sourcing, and supply chain efficiencies. With regards to our supply chain, our plans for 2021 include further expansion of our private fleet, which accounted for more than 20% of our outbound fleet at the end of 2020. Reducing stem miles is also an important contributor to these efforts, and the recent opening of our Walton, Kentucky Dry Distribution Center is expected to drive additional efficiencies as we move ahead. We also plan to open two additional DG Fresh facilities in 2021 as we look to further optimize our Fresh network and support future growth. In addition, we anticipate our combination DG Fresh and Dry Distribution Center in Blair, Nebraska will be completed in to contribute to a further reduction in stem miles over time. Finally, while we are very pleased with our progress in 2020, shrink reduction remains an important area of opportunity. We continue to build on our success with electronic article surveillance by increasing the number of items tagged while further leveraging technology to drive even higher levels of in-store execution. Our second priority is capturing growth opportunities. Our proven high return, low risk real estate model continues to be a core strength of our business. In 2020, we completed a total of 2,780 real estate projects, including 1,000 new stores, 1,670 remodels, and 110 relocations. Additionally, we now have produce in more than 1,100 stores. For 2021, we expect to open 1,050 new stores, remodel 1,750 stores, and relocate 100 stores, representing 2,900 real estate projects in total. We also plan to add produce in approximately 700 stores, bringing the total number of stores that carry produce to more than 1,800. In addition, as Todd noted earlier, we continue to advance the evolution of our store base with plans to build on the success of our DGP format, including the introduction of two new format types. With about 8,500 square feet of selling space, both our first new format and DGP concept allow for expanded high capacity cooler counts, an extended queue line, and a broader product assortment, including NCI, a larger health and beauty section, and produce in select stores. In total, we expect more than 550 of our overall real estate projects this year to be in one of these format types as we look to further enhance our value and convenience proposition, particularly in rural America. The second new format consists of about 9,500 square feet of selling space. In addition to an extended queue line and broader assortment, this larger layout also includes nearly 50 high-capacity coolers, 
an expanded produce offering, fresh meat, and additional checkout lanes, including a self-checkout bullpen with multiple stations. We believe this even larger format better positions us to meet the growing needs of our customers, particularly in highly underserved markets, and we are targeting more than 100 locations by year-end. Overall, these larger formats allow us to incorporate our best and most impactful initiatives and are designed to expand high-growth traffic-building categories in a more customer-friendly format, all while continuing to drive strong returns. Moving to an update on the number of new store opportunities. Through a combination of our growing relevance with customers, format innovation, an evolving retail landscape, and leveraging new technologies, we estimate there are now approximately 13,000 additional small box store opportunities in the continental U.S., which are available for a dollar general store. This compares to our prior estimate of nearly 12,000 opportunities and is inclusive of our 2021 new unit pipeline. Although these opportunities are available to all small box retailers, as a leader in small box retail, combined with our proven track record of new unit development and format innovation, we believe we are well positioned to capture a disproportionate share as we move ahead. And while we continue to evaluate, we are currently we currently estimate Pop Shelf could add approximately 3,000 additional store opportunities in the continental U.S., with about another 1,000 additional opportunities available for our smaller footprint DGX format. When taken together, we estimate there are a total of approximately 17,000 new store opportunities available across our format types, which we believe represents a long runway for new unit growth. Overall, our real estate pipeline remains robust and we are excited about the significant new store opportunities ahead. Next, our digital initiative, which is an important complement to our brick and mortar footprint as we continue to deploy and leverage technology to further enhance the customer in-store experience. Overall, our strategy consists of building a digital ecosystem that is specifically tailored to provide our customers with an even more convenient, frictionless, and personalized shopping experience. We made significant progress in 2020, highlighted by the accelerated rollout of DG Pickup, our buy online pickup in store offering to more than 17,000 stores, providing another convenient access point for those seeking a more contactless shopping experience. During the year, we also saw continued growth in customer engagement across our digital ecosystem, including our digital coupon offering, shopping list feature, cart calculator shopping and budgeting tool, e-commerce site, DGGO mobile checkout, and our mobile app, which ended the year with nearly 4 million monthly active users. Looking ahead, our plans include providing more relevant, meaningful, and personalized offerings with the goal of driving even higher levels of customer engagement and loyalty. Our third operating priority is to leverage and reinforce our position as a low-cost operator. Over the years, we've established a clear and defined process to control spending, which governs our disciplined approach to spending decisions. This zero-based budgeting approach, internally branded as Save to Serve, keeps the customer at the center of all we do while reinforcing our cost control mindset. 
Our Fast Track initiative is a great example of this approach, where our goals include increasing labor productivity in our stores, enhancing customer convenience, and further improving on-shelf availability. We continue to be pleased with the labor productivity improvements we are seeing as a result of our efforts around both Rolltainer and case pack optimization, which have led to the more efficient stocking of our stores. The second component of, of Fast Track is self-checkout, which provides customers with another flexible and convenient checkout solution, while also driving greater efficiencies for our store associates. Self-checkout was available in more than 1,600 stores at the end of 2020, with plans for an aggressive expansion as we move ahead. In fact, we expect to introduce this offering into the vast majority of our stores by the end of 2022. Our underlying principles are to keep the business simple, but move quickly to capture growth opportunities while controlling expenses and always seeking to be a low-cost operator. Our fourth operating priority is investing in our diverse teams through development, empowerment, and inclusion. As a growing retailer, we continue to create new jobs in the communities we serve. And for those associates already on our team, this growth is resulting in numerous opportunities for career advancement. In fact, more than 12,000 of our current store managers are internal promotes, and we continue to innovate on the development opportunities we can offer our teams, including continued expansion of our private fleet and those associated with DG Fresh as well as Pop Shelf. In addition, we transitioned to a virtual learning environment in 2020, resulting in the continued development of our people, including nearly 3 million training hours for our employees, all supported by our award-winning training and development programs. Importantly, we believe these efforts continue to yield positive results across our store base as evidenced by continued record low store manager turnover, record staffing levels, healthy applicant flows, and a robust internal promotion pipeline. We believe the opportunity to start and develop a career with a growing and purpose-driven company is a unique competitive advantage and remains our greatest currency in attracting and retaining talent. Overall, we are making great progress against our operating priorities and strategic initiatives. We have a robust set of initiatives in place for 2021 and are confident in our plans to drive long-term sustainable growth while creating meaningful value for our shareholders. In closing, I am proud of our team's performance and our 2020 results, which further demonstrate our unique combination of value and convenience continues to resonate with customers and positions us well going forward. I want to offer my heartfelt thank you to each of our more than 157,000 employees across the company for the incredible work they do every day to fulfill our mission of serving others. I look forward to all that we can accomplish together in the year ahead. With that, operator, we would now like to open the lines for questions. Thank you. At this time, we will be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star key. In the interest of time, we are asking you to limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Once again, that's star 1 to register a question at this time. 
Our first question today is coming from Michael Lasser of UBS. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks a lot for taking my question. So it looks like you're guiding to about 60 basis points of operating margin expansion between 2019 and 2021. Well, why wouldn't it be more than that, given you're comping better than your algorithm would, would suggest on a two-year stack basis, plus you're benefiting from all these margin enhancing, enhancing initiatives like DG Fresh, Fast Track, NC other, NCI and others, and how, within that, how would you expect your gross margin to shake out this year versus 2019? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tackle both those questions, Michael. This is John. Um, you know, first of all, I'll say we're really pleased with with what we did in 2020, uh, expanding our operating margin 223 uh, basis points. We didn't give specific guidance on operating margin or the components. Um, but we, you know, we did call out that uh, uh, some of the headwinds. The biggest headwind being the SG&A deleverage that you know goes along with lower comp sales this year. Um, we also talked about uh, anticipating a mix shift back toward consumables, um, which does have a margin impact to both the sales mix as well as markdowns, uh, as we would you know be lapping unusually low uh, clearance uh, markdowns last year. And then we also mentioned higher carrier rates and fuel costs. So these are all. Um, you know, cost that, that pressure uh, operating margin overall. Now, you also asked about uh, gross margin. You know, as you think about um, gross margin, again, we feel great about what we did this year, uh, delivering 77 basis points of gross margin expansion. This is our seventh consecutive quarter doing that, 117 basis points for the year. And, you know, to your point, initiatives like DG Fresh and NCI are really contributing and impactful uh, to the biggest drivers that we called out. You know, the three biggest drivers we called out were lower markdowns, higher initial markups, and the mixed benefit. And NCI and DG Fresh were significant contributors to those. Um, but we also, as I mentioned, you know, are seeing in the near term higher distribution in, in transportation costs. So, you know, as, as we look ahead in the near term, you know, these will these will weigh in the near term. Um, but as you look at the longer term, you know, we do feel like. Um, we're well positioned to continue expanding, uh, resume expanding gross margin and operating margin over the longer term for the reasons you mentioned, the scaling of these initiatives that are the gifts uh, that, that keep on giving and all the levers we've talked about before within gross margin and within uh, SG&A. But at the same time, you know, it, it's you know, noted that we continue to invest in the business. And so to make sure we sustain our, our uh, ambition of being 10% double-digit EPS growers over the long term, we are continuing, as we called out, uh, to reinvest uh, in the business. We mentioned uh, 60 to $70 million that's hitting uh, SG&A next year. And then the other thing I'll mention is, you know, in terms of COVID expenses, you know, we will continue to have some COVID expenses associated with uh, protecting and ensuring the health and safety of our employees and customers. You know, how much that is going to be varies on what the situation dictates, uh, but we've captured all our best estimates in the guidance uh, for these drivers. Understood. Thank you. That's very helpful. And, and my second question is it's very myopic, and, and, and we're all just trying to figure out what, what's going to happen as we get through the, the next uh, several months. And if we just take the math of down 16% versus a 34.5% in March of last year, it would imply a high teens two-year stack. So can you give us some flavor for how March unfolded last year? Have you, have you, are you just now entering the toughest compares within the month 
such that a high teens two-year stack would be uh, kind of a false positive indication on what to expect over the, the, the next few months? Yeah, I could help you there, Michael. Um, you know, I'll start by saying it's, it's, it's bumpy, right? You know, there's a lot of noise. You, know, you had the storm in February, and then in March, you know, you're extrapolating over a very short period of time, which was pretty bumpy last year. But, you know, to help you out here, you know, we called out, yes, as you mentioned, the negative 16% month-to-date uh, from the end of February through March 16th this year. If you look at the corresponding period of time last year, it was not dissimilar to the 34.5% comp where we ended the period, so, so fairly representative. But again, um, there's a fair bit of noise within this, so I, you know, I'd be cautious in extrapolating too much based on that, but hopefully that helps you uh, understand where we were at this point. That certainly does. Thank you so much and good luck. Excuse me, thank you. Our next question is coming from Simeon Gutman of Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Good morning, everyone. A um, couple questions, I guess. First, on, on the comps, the, the 10 to 12% that you mentioned in the release on a two-year stack, um, it actually felt like that's a doable um, number going forward if you take all the initiatives. Um, and so yet you're still going to have stimulus, at least in the first part of the year, probably now and for a little while longer. And so I guess the, the, the top line feels a little conservative in that regard. Just can you talk about that? Any thoughts around it? Why, you know, if the 10 to 12, in our view, is doable, why, why couldn't the top line end up being a little bit stronger? Sure. Let me unpack that for you. And, and again, just dialing the clock back a little bit. You know, we've said historically that this model works really well at a 2 to 4% comp. You know, that's the engine of the 10% plus EPS growth algorithm. So with a two-year comp stack of 10 to 12%, you know, over two years, that re represents a pretty meaningful step change uh, improvement uh, over that. Um, and I tell you, we feel great about the fundamentals of the business. You know, as you said, uh, the relevance of the brand, the broadening appeal, the new customers we've brought in, uh, the bigger baskets we're enjoying. Uh, I'd say the business model's never been stronger. And, and as, as noted, you know, the initiatives are really clicking and contributing um, uh, to this relevance. So we feel good about, you know, the guidance that we've provided. Um, but we did note that, um, and it's based on what we know, but what we did note was that we didn't include the impact of stimulus because it's really relatively unknown what uh, impact it'll have, to what degree it might help. Um, so that's not taken into consideration in the guidance. It could be uh, an upside, I hope it is, um, but there's just a lot of uncertainty when you think about, you know, one, uh, compared to the previous uh, stimulus rounds, which helped us, um, the economy is opening up now more. And so we are competing with other uh, segments of the economy outside of retail for that share of wallets. So how much we get is uncertain. And then the other piece is, you know, surveys of, of consumers have said that they plan to save more this time. They plan to you know, spend more paying off bills. Now, a lot of times what people say and do is two different things, and so it remains to be seen if that's the case. So we're cautiously optimistic. We didn't build it in. It could be an upside, but it's just very difficult to say uh, if it'll be upside and to what degree. Okay, that's helpful. Um, and then my follow-up, um, I maybe take another shot at something Michael just asked. If you look at the gross margins versus 2019, and John, you mentioned some transportation costs, is there any reason why they shouldn't be higher than 2019? Yeah, again, I don't, I don't want to get into the 
specifics of, of guidance around uh, operating margin for this year. We, you know, we wanted to give, there's a high degree of uncertainty, we wanted to give some guidance, so we gave the top line and the bottom line. Um, I'll just say that, um, you know, we're really pleased with the performance we've been delivering over the last few years, uh, growing our gross margin um, and, and our, you know, the operating margin again over two points this year. Um, but again, there's a lot of unknowns this year, a lot of potential pressures. With that um, comp that we mentioned, when you look at this year, you know, that does create some deleverage. And again, you know, we are, uh, uh, you know, investing in the business. Now, again, that investment piece is accretive, but then you do have, you know, other pressures, you know, such as carrier rates. Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, you do have uh, other, you know, inflationary pressures. Fair enough. Thank you very much. Good luck. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Matthew Boss of J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Great, thanks. So, Todd or, or John, maybe on same on the same store sales acceleration to the mid to uh, that we've seen um, so far. What have you seen from discretionary versus consumables? And then on the double-digit two-year SPAC that you forecasted for this year. How much of the acceleration relative to the past two years do you believe is driven by new customer acquisition or market share gains? Trying to get a sense for that two-year stack of double digits relative to mid to high single digits, the trailing two years, how much of this acceleration do you believe is sustainable? Yeah, this is Todd. Um, yeah, I, I would tell you, let me take the, the um, second part first. I would tell you that, um, you know, that, that comp, we believe that um, we are retaining um, a, a nice portion of the new customers that we saw come in. We can see that um, with our um, with our data um, at a at a pretty good real time rate. Um, and the great thing is we we've seen them um, continue to come back, so repeat as well. So you know we feel good about that going into 21. Uh, we we see them still here in 21, which is really good to see. Um, and again, with all of our initiatives, uh, Matt, that we've got um, got put together, I, I would tell you that um, it gives her a lot of confidence to continue to shop with us. So, you know, I know I'm not going to give you exactly what you're looking for, but um, I would tell you that um, you know it it, it plays a, a portion of it. Uh, but I would also say that all of our initiatives also, um, you know, really come into play here. And then what we've seen so far, just to give you a little bit more color, um, non-consumables or that discretionary side of the business continues to do very well for us um, into uh, the early part of Q1 here. Um, and, um, and as we move through March, it'll become even more meaningful uh, because as you recall, the, the stock up trip from last year, um, you know, with um, the pandemic, with paper and cleaning, and many of the um, the, the consumable um, food, perishable um, areas really took off last year, um, and uh, non-consumables uh, were a little soft, quite frankly, um, and we're seeing the opposite, quite frankly, right now. So that's great to see. Um, but what we can also see is that our initiatives around non-consumables has really helped because our baskets. Uh, seem to be a little higher um, with those non-consumables in them as well. So they're spending at a, at a good rate there, um, and we believe that she'll continue to do that as we move into um, the middle part of the year. Great. And then maybe just to follow up, John, on, on the SG&A front, 
could you just help quantify what, what you've embedded in the guidance from a COVID expense perspective, just so we can baseline it? And then X to strategic investments. Is there any change to two and a half to three percent? I think that's roughly been the underlying comp leverage point in the model. Any change to that? Yeah, I'll tackle both of those. First, in, in terms of the COVID spend, um, you know, obviously we're going to do what's necessary to ensure the health and safety of our employees and customers. The guidance captures the best guess of the spending needs associated with that. That's, of course, going to vary based on the severity and duration of the pandemic. But uh, safe to say, we've built in a considerable reduction of that, assuming um, a, an improvement of the situation there. And that's what's captured in the guidance. We didn't give a specific number on that, but it is a, a considerable step down. You know, as, as you think about um, SGNA and the two and a half to three percent um, leverage point, you know, we've kind of dissuaded people from sticking to that because there is that geography that you noted. You know, one, we are investing in, in SGNA to drive overall operating margin expansion, uh, you know, particularly gross margin. And so as you look at things like um, DG Fresh, as we're taking over self-distribution, NCI, uh, you spend a little bit on SGNA to save a lot more and drive a lot more benefit on gross margin. So it's um, uh, very beneficial overall, but it does throw off the math on that. And then there are some other um, initiatives uh, like Pop Shelf and others that are more, you know, have more of a, of a startup cost uh, nature. So it pressures that. And then the other thing we've done is we really stepped up the remodels. And so that puts a little bit of pressure on the front end of that. So um, if you strip all those out, and that's a lot to strip out, you know, that as well as the COVID expenses, yes, we're still looking at that two and a half to three percent. Um, uh, leverage point. Nothing has structurally changed, uh, and our certainly our focus on cost containment um, is is sharper than ever. Um, but that's really the only change to that. But you know, for the next few years, as we scale those and they and we operationalize, you know, DG Fresh, you have to put a little bit of labor in the stores, for instance, and a little bit of contract labor to remodel the stores. That's really the big the big driver of that. But overall, it's accretive from a dollar perspective and a rate perspective. That's great, Color. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Scott Ciccarelli of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, so I, I apologize up front about another sales-related question, but we, we do know that the, the stack comps start to get distorted when we deal with bigger numbers and bigger swings. So if we were to basically dollarize your comps, for lack of, uh, lack of a better term, it looks like there really wasn't much of a change in your sales run rate like from a sales per store perspective between March, uh, February and March. So two questions. First, is that a fair assumption? And then related to that, assuming you maintain a pretty steady, are you assuming that you're going to maintain a pretty steady uh, sales per store cadence for the balance of the year? Or are you expecting a deceleration in kind of sales per store during the course of the year as we uh, hopefully enter a more normalized environment? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll start with the second question. You know, as you look at the guidance we provided this year, um, you know, we do, cons you know, a key element of that is uh, assuming that we retain a you know, considerable portion of the new customers that came in and the bigger baskets that came in. You know, a big piece of that is the initiatives we've put in place, like NCI that positioned us so well to get a piece of that um, share of wallet as people came into the, uh, came into the brand and liked what they saw, as well as the coolers. Um, that uh, you know provided a fuller fill-in trip when people were looking for groceries. So we've assumed uh, a pretty considerable retention of that. But as we've looked at it throughout the year, we've also said that 
the share wallet probably will shift a little bit. You know, you know, right now there is, uh, you know, concurrent with the pandemic, there is a consolidation of trips, and we're uh, benefiting from that, um, as well as again benefiting from that share wallet. Um, so as you go through the year, you, you know, we assume you do lose a little bit of that tailwind as uh, you're competing with other segments of the economy for that for that share of wallet. Um, but still, um, very uh, positive on how much we can retain, and again, the fundamentals of the business and the relevance of the brand as as people have come in. And again, you know, as we said, I don't want to dissect you know February and March too much because because again, it was pretty bumpy with the storms in February and um, you know a lot of puts and takes in March. And again, you're extrapolating over a, a pretty short period of time. So when you strip out you know all, all the noise. You know, I wouldn't. I would tell you that. You know, again, with the guidance, you know, we provided um, that contemplates. You know, th what we've seen up to this point, and I think the wild card is again stimulus, and we just didn't put anything in for that because we just don't know what that benefit will be and to what degree. But John, just to be clear, like you know, in terms of sales per store, maybe a different way to look at it. Did you see much of a change between February and March? You know, I, I would say as you strip out some of the noise I mentioned, um, we think the core business is performing similar and performing very well when you look at those stacks. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Karen Short of Barclays. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks very much. Um, I just wanted to get a little bit of color in terms of how we should think about kind of the composition of traffic versus ticket as we go into 20 calendar 21. Um, I mean, obviously, you saw a pretty meaningful, I think, deceleration in traffic in February, um, but that's off of a pretty high number in the February of the prior year. So wondering if you could talk a little bit about that just broadly. And then I wanted to talk a little bit more about 22 um, as it relates to gross margins. So. The question I have on that is, how should we think about the base level of gross margin for 22? Because it seems like you are at a much more permanently elevated base on the gross margin front. And I know 21 is just so hard to talk through because there's so many moving parts, but I wanted to kind of pivot the conversation to 22 on the gross margin front. Uh, thanks for the question, Karen. I, I'll take the uh, first part and then kick it over to John for the um, 22 gross margin uh, discussion. So on the traffic side, uh, you know, again, February was pretty choppy. You had um, you had the storms that, quite frankly, we you saw in the in the release 8,500 store um, hours, you know, of, of lost time. Uh, but the bigger thing is we, you know, for a day to almost two days, we had, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of our store base closed for that time. So it's a little choppy to be able to to talk about traffic in in um, February and then what's happened in in March. But I think the the way to look at it is we we feel really good about that traffic number overall where we see it. It was very similar to where it had been uh, coming out of out of Q4. Um, as John said, as you start to pull away some of these puts and takes, I, I think it's important. You know, we saw a little bit of an uptick in traffic when that stimulus came out, um, you know, the second round of stimulus. Um, and with only a couple days to measure, we've seen a, an uptick um, in, um, in traffic and, and overall sales 
with um, uh, this recent stimulus. But again, I caution it's still very early um, to tell what's going to happen here. But um, I think the bigger uh, picture is, you know, we, we're retaining a lot of those customers, as I mentioned earlier, that we got during the pandemic, and we're still working very hard to keep Dollar General top of mind to those customers so that when she can, continues to consider where to shop for her everyday needs and um, many of these new non-consumable type items that we've got in our stores, she still comes to us. So we, we believe we, we're seeing that repeat customer, and there's no reason why we, um, uh, we, we deserve and, and have the right to keep that customer based on um, our service of her in the past as well as what we believe we can do in the future for her. John? Yeah, and, and then um, to the second part of the question, and I agree with you, there's just a lot of noise in, in 2021. I think one thing I would point to is you look at over that two-year period, um, lots of puts and takes, but when you get to the bottom line, you know, a two-year CAGR of 15 to 20%, I think really speaks to the step change performance and the top line and the flow through. It makes you feel good about the future. Now, I don't want to give specific guidance around 2022. It's, it's premature for that. But, you know, as you unpack the drivers of gross margin um, in Q4, and for the full year, you know, as, as I mentioned, um, it's the strategic initiatives which are the you know the core drivers of that, and those still have a lot of uh, tentacles and legs to those that that help us going forward. And we're reloading with other initiatives to help uh, drive uh, gross margin. Now, the one thing that we mentioned juiced um, 20, uh, 2020 a little bit was uh, the mix. You know, so that's why we cautioned that you know we expect the mix to normalize or move back toward uh, consumable somewhat, which is a bit of a drag. Um, but the thing, the other items driving that gross margin expansion, we expect to continue. And so that's why I mentioned that as we get through, you know, the noise of this year and would encourage people to look at that two-year stack and push forward, um, the same drivers are there that makes you feel good about our ability to continue to grow gross margin over the long term, not only the scaling of the existing initiatives and new ones, but uh, really pleased what we've seen um, with um, the shrink improvement, the supply chain efficiencies, a lot of opportunities still around uh, private brand uh, penetration expansion, foreign sourcing expansion. Uh, the team continues to do a great job with category management. And again, when you look at our scale and our growing scale as a limited SKU shop, it really puts us in a very favorable position to get uh, uh, best pricing there and protect our margins while also um, being well-priced. And on the price front, you know, we'll always reserve the right to invest as needed. But, you know, as we look at it now and as we've seen for quite a while now, we feel like we're in the best position on pricing we've been in and don't see, at least for the foreseeable future, the need to, to invest there. So we feel good about the long-term ability to continue to grow gross margin while also driving traffic and sales. Yeah, I, Karen, I, I would also just, just say real quick and then get to the next question is that I, I feel as good about this business uh, than I have the, the 12, almost 13 years that I've been here. And the long-term outlook of, um, of this business is stronger than ever. And um, as John indicated, I think once we get through the noise of, um, of 21, um, you know, I, I believe that algorithm is very much intact. And as you have seen, um, even prior to COVID, we were running, um, you know, at the top end of that algorithm and many of the uh, components of it. And there's no reason why that shouldn't continue as we can as we go long term. No, I completely. I, I just want to clarify on the 8,400 lost days. I get that to be. It's about 180 basis points to the comp. Is that fair? 
Um, well, I, I think the way to, uh, yeah, I, I think the way to look at this is, I think we did, we did quantify the impact of the storm uh, on operating profit and a meaningful piece of that was the, uh, the sales impact. So if you look at um, the overall dollars we, we quantified, about half of that was sales uh, flow through. Um, so maybe that's a way to dimensionalize that. Okay, great, thank you. Thank you, our next question is coming from Rupesh Parikh of Oppenheimer, please go ahead. Good morning, thanks for taking my question. Uh, so I guess John, first starting with guidance, um, I was curious what your team is assuming for the promotional backdrop and, in the, and as your trends have turned negative and a number of other players are also starting to turn negative, I was just curious if you guys have seen any shifts in the promotional backdrop lately. Yeah, as, as you look at the promotional backdrop, um, we think it remains rational. It's been that way for the last about year and a half. So things have been pretty consistent. Um, and so as we look forward, you know, we're not assuming um, any major changes there because we feel like we're very well positioned on price and Todd, if you want to add anything. Yeah, Rupesh, I would tell you, you know, from a position of strength last year, we we positioned ourselves to be in the best position in pricing that we've been in many, many years. Um, and so uh, if you take a look at our everyday pricing, uh, we are better than we've been uh, across all channels of trade. Um, and um, as John indicated, the promotional environment has been pretty uh, stable and tame and quite frankly has been that way for a year and a half. So we feel pretty good about where we are, uh, but always reserve the right if we need to help our consumer out, um, we'll, we'll do that. But right now we don't see that um, in the near future. Okay, great. And then maybe just one follow-up question. So, Todd, just curious in your latest thoughts on what you're seeing from your consumer based on your service, because it does appear to us, I mean, it is a fairly strong consumer out there. Stimulus coming. Um, so just want to get your thoughts there. Yeah, I, I would tell you the consumer, um, you know, our core consumers always stretch, as you know, uh, but I, I have to repeat that each time because she really is. Um, you know, and I would tell you that, uh, you know, in, in the last six to eight months, she's felt the, um, the stress of this pandemic uh, probably a little bit more than she was feeling in the early part of the pandemic. And in, in some cases, because again, lack of uh, work or not working that full 40 hour uh, shift or that full time that, that uh, she was doing in many cases. So um, and our core consumers probably a little bit more uh, stretched at this point in saying that, uh, what we have also seen, though, is her ability to spend when she needs to, and stimulus has really helped that. So uh, we're in round three, and as I indicated, it's very early on in, in that third round. Uh, we're bullish on her ability to have some extra money to spend. Um, and, you know, we're also bullish, you know, when we, when we think about the back half of the year, um, the child tax credit piece that will be coming out uh, for, um, uh, for, for children from July through December should also uh, benefit our core consumer. And then obviously the extension of the SNAP benefit piece also helps. So there, there is a lot of tailwind. Uh, we just, in our guidance, uh, didn't contemplate any of that because again, it's so, it, first of all, it's so new and we just don't know how to dimensionalize it. But I think the, the important thing, uh, Rupesh, to, to keep in mind is that we're well positioned to capture a large portion of that uh, if she's outspending it. And I, I believe she will spend it. That is who our core consumer is. But as John said, there, there are other, um, we're not as concerned about retail. We believe 
we, we will get our more than our fair share at retail. It's just some of these other areas that are now open, whether it be uh, dining out, uh, whether it be travel to some degree uh, that will be competed against. But um, we still feel good about being able to service her with that extra money. Okay, great. Thank you for all the color and best of luck for the year. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Tadmi Luthra of Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I wanted to talk about these new banners that you uh, spoke of today, and, and especially with Pop Shelf, you mentioned, you know, doing a store within a store concept with uh, signage for both Pop Shelf, and, Pop Shelf and, and the Dollar General banner outside. As you think about your core customer, uh, what gives you confidence, you know, that, that the customer will not feel an alienation to the core banner with, you know, th this double signage outside and a store within a store concept? Uh, how do you think about that? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I would tell you, first of all, our, our core consumer, um, you know, is a little bit of a different consumer than the pop shelf consumer. But in the areas that we're looking to um, uh, put the store within the store concepts, um, it, it is a little higher demographic um, than our core. Um, so just to give you some color, um, in, in these areas, uh, the, the demographics are, are more in the fifty dollars to um, $75,000 um, income range versus our true dollar general of, of 35 to 40 range, somewhere in there. So it's not quite the pop shelf where it's 75 plus, but I believe that the crossover, is, there's enough there to um, entice the consumer to come in. Uh, the, the second uh, piece of it is that, you know, we believe that, um, and we've already proven it with some cross-pollination of items within Dollar General that, that were in Pop Shelf um, and, and how well they sold within, within the, um, uh, the box of uh, just a true Dollar General without even having any signage up with Pop Shelf. So we know those same items will resonate with even our core consumers. So we believe we can capture both sides of that equation, higher end, as well as continue to, to service the lower end consumer with this new box. Um, it, it is a test, right? So just keep that in mind. It, it'll be 25 stores uh, this year, but um, you know, if it works and we believe it will, um, there could be some additional ones that we do in 22 and and many more as we continue to move forward. Got it. And, and my follow-up is around um, new customer retention strategy that you mentioned uh, during your third quarter call around some some, some strategy around you know basically retaining those new customers. Could you give an update on that as to what you're doing uh, to, to, to retain new customers that you gained during this time? Yeah, thank you. Well, we, we started that retention effort back in September. Uh, we thought it was the right time to, to start launching it because we knew because of the way we were doing it, this wasn't a price and item retention strategy. This was a retention strategy to keep Dollar General top of mind uh, with these newer customers, and when the pandemic started to wane, um, we would keep, we, Dollar General would still, be in, would still be in the consideration set. So to be able to, to do that, it takes months to be able to instill that, um, uh, that piece into the customer's mindset. And um, so we've been working it hard 
now for the better part of five months, uh, coming on six months. And, um, and we believe that uh, we've seen the benefit of that already. Uh, when we saw the, um, uh, the benefits of stimulus start to wane in November and even early December before the second wave came out, we were still seeing that repeat customer come into the store. Uh, so that gave us confidence that what we were doing was working. And, and now even into Q1, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're still seeing that core customer, or I'm sorry, that new customer show up um, within our stores. Even though uh, the pandemic is starting to wane even a little bit more, um, we're still seeing the, that customer. We will not leave um, the, the foot off the accelerator here. We believe that we'll continue to um, uh, do everything we can to drive that consumer in. And as John indicated, um, a large part of that comp this year is predicated on, on retaining a, a good portion of those uh, consumers, which again, we believe we have the right to, um, uh, to service that consumer based on what we've seen so far. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. We're showing time for one final question today. Our last question will be coming from Paul Trussell of Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Oh, good morning. Um, you've, you've shared a lot uh, today, so thank you for the color. I guess maybe uh, I'd be looking for just additional details on where you are on some of your initiatives and, and what we should be uh thinking about over the course of the next, you know, 12 months, specifically, um, you know, DG Fresh, uh, would love for you to elaborate there um, in addition to, you know, DG Go um, and other ways that you are just overall kind of attacking uh, to keep market share. Hey, Paul, this is Jeff. Thank you for that question. And uh, we are very proud of our accomplishments uh, with DG Fresh. The team has done a fantastic job of accelerating that rollout and the capabilities that it's providing for us. So to be in 16,000 stores plus uh, is really an accomplishment. And, you know, originally, as we talked about, DG Fresh was all about reducing product costs, improving in stocks, and uh, a broader assortment. And we've uh, hit on all three. So that is performing very well. The other thing that we're excited about is the future and what it can potentially provide for us as we continue to grow. You know, when you think back for a second on the formats that we also introduced, the reason we're able to build larger stores with more coolers is really dependent on our strategic planning process that started several years ago, and DG Fresh is a certain uh, core to all of that. And so when you think about the future and our new format prototype that we're going to be uh, moving to in the mid part of 21, DG Fresh is going to play a key role in being able to continue to broaden that assortment for the customer. And then as you look to the future, we also believe that DG Fresh plays a, a, a key role in unlocking our ability to do produce in over 10,000 stores as we look ahead. So um, DG Fresh... Again, complicated initiative that the team did a phenomenal job of, of implementing, but is going to set us up for the future uh, in a big way. On the digital side, you know, I, I would say, remember, uh, on DG Pickup, 17,000 stores plus going from pilot to full rollout in less than a year is, is again, a tremendous accomplishment of the team. Um, but I will say we continue to make great progress there in expanding the assortment, We've optimized our substitution technology and, 
you know, one thing you got to keep in mind is uh, we're providing optionality for this customer, but our store itself is an incredibly convenient proposition. And when you combine being five miles within 75% of the population and self-checkout that we've got in 1,600 stores right now, the, the convenience bar continues to rise. But uh, we're very pleased with what we're seeing so far there. And then finally, I would tell you, in terms of engagement with the customer, that's the other thing on the digital side she's asking for. And uh, with 4 million active users um, and growing, we feel real good about what we're doing there as well. So um, two key initiatives that we look to continue to contribute to our future success. Thanks so much for that color. Just lastly, uh, John, I appreciate the, you know, CapEx and kind of share buyback guidance. Maybe just talk about your approach to cash kind of priorities overall um, and how to think about that uh, even beyond 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll start by saying our capital allocation priorities ha haven't changed. And the first priority remains investing in high return growth opportunities like new store growth remodels and the strategic initiatives that just provide uh, fantastic returns. Uh, then it's still uh, continuing to pay a competitive dividend, which we recently increased 16.7%. Uh, and then it's buying back shares with the excess uh, cash and debt capacity. But as we've always noted, we want to protect our current investment grade credit rating. So we keep the leverage ratio around um, three. So uh, we bought back, you know, this year, I mean, we were able to do all and, and buy back two and a half billion dollars of uh, uh, shares with the, with the extra cash. Next year, we're targeting a billion eight. And then I think also meaningfully what you saw last year is we accelerated virtually every strategic initiative with the extra cash, which is, again, our first priority investing in the business. So that served us very well and remains unchanged. Thank you. Best of luck. Thank you. Dollar General, you may disconnect your lines and log off the webcast and have a wonderful day.